We looked a few weeks ago at the whole thing of um, community and someone mentioned to me, uh, you haven't said anything about conflict, which said something, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's, an important, it's an important thing, really. If you, uh, if you live in any sort of community, if you think about it, there's bound to be, if there's more than one of you, uh, sometimes disagreement. In fact, sometimes I can be on my own and have an argument, but uh, that's just the way, uh, that's the way my brain works. But uh, it's true, isn't it? If you're in a family, if you're in a workplace, if you're in a playground, if you're in a sixth form, if you're in a college, uh, there, are, there are tensions in a staff room. Whatever situation uh, you're in, uh, resolving conflict uh, is an important skill. And I, I want to suggest that Christians should be at the forefront of resolving conflicts. Uh, I, I know a man who actually goes around the, wor- the world and is involved. He's a Christian man, but he's involved with governments and he's paid to help resolve conflicts. Some, some of us will remember uh, the conflict that was in northern, northern Uganda and into Sudan and other countries there with the Lord's Resistance Army. And this guy went along and helped people that were wanting to actually kill each other reach a point where they could resolve their conflict. That's a huge issue. Most of us, in comparison to that, have quite small issues. But conflict resolution is an important thing. So I haven't got one particular uh, passage, but I remember that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's great to be someone who can make peace. And peacemakers are badly needed in this world, aren't they? Sometimes they're badly needed in your staff room or in your sixth form or wherever you happen to be. And so I want, I want to give five or six pointers that would help us be peacemakers. It's important, isn't it? Because it's also, it also happens in a home group, small group. It, happens, it might happen in your activity that you go along to. Five-a-side football is bound to happen there, isn't it? Five-a-side football on a Sunday night. There's bound to be bits of conflict. It can happen in a congregation that people misunderstand one another, fall out, disagree about how you should do things. It happens in church too because we're human. <laughs> we're saved, we've been rescued, we've been forgiven our sin, but we're still being made holy, we're still being sanctified. And there are bits of us where things go wrong amongst us. That's just a fact of life. And conflict, undealt with, a small problem can become a much bigger problem, can't it? My mum used to say, a stitch in time saves nine. I don't know very much about that personally, but uh, I'm told it's true. A stitch in time saves nine. And, and a problem unresolved is draining, isn't it? When you, when you get in, if you're in a conflict situation and you can't get it resolved, it's just exhausting physically and emotionally. So resolving conflicts is a great skill. And so here are five or six top tips, if you like. And here's the first one. Make the first move. Make the first move. Lots of conflicts I know people say, uh, if she'll or if he'll apologise, if this will happen, no, no, make the first move. You know, making the first move is so important that Jesus said, and I wouldn't dare say this if Jesus hadn't said it, it's more important than going to church. 
And that's speaking to someone that likes to see, even at half term, you know, more people in church. But that's what Jesus said. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and 24. This is where he talks about it. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift on the altar, he's talking about going up to Jerusalem and and offering a gift on, on the altar there in Jerusalem, which was a big, big deal. He said, even if you're offering your gift on the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Interesting, he doesn't want them to take their offering home. But anyway, that's an aside. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Don't make it. First go. First. That's the priority, is to go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly. So make the first move. I wonder if there's any of us here that are waiting for somebody else to do something or say something. Well, Jesus said no. Even it's more important even than going to church and he's a big fan of church the New Testament's a big fan of gathering together don't forsake gathering together the Bible says but he says it's so important that we do that with as far as is possible relationships in a good place so make the first move here's, here's the second one that we also don't necessarily like it's begin with what's your fault <laughs> looking very serious begin with what's your fault even if even if in your head in your calculation you think it's 99% their fault I know it is but begin with what's our fault confess our part in the same sermon on the mount in chapter 7 of Matthew let's look at that Matthew 7 verse 3 to 5 Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How could you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? You get this sort of silly scenario, isn't it? Where you think, oh, I could see a speck of, I could see a little bit of sawdust in Abigail's eye. And you get to take it out and you've got a giant great scaffolding plank in, in, your, in your own eye. Well, you couldn't see to do it for a start, could you? It's just a nonsense, it's a nonsense thing. But what it's saying is, is look at yourself first. We have a saying, you? you know, when you point the finger, the finger points at you. That's the same sort of principle, isn't it? Is, is deal with your own stuff. Begin with what's your fault. You hypocrite, says Jesus. He didn't mince his words, did he? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There is a time. There's a time to say, excuse me, I, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this happens and it upsets me. There's a time for that. He says, but but first, the priority is first, deal with what's your fault first. And sometimes, see, the seeds of conflict can go back a long time, can't they? If things are not dealt with, if, if, we're, if we're proud, if we don't deal with things, sometimes things can just rumble on and you don't even know where this annoyance quite began. Why? Because, because it's been neglected. Over, over such a long period, things haven't been dealt with. Sometimes it can be as simple as, actually, I'm really annoyed because actually I'm a, I'm a bit stressed and I went to bed a bit late and I've got a virus and actually I haven't talked to Jesus for about a week. And so actually I find when I'm not walking with Jesus very well, things get more annoying. Somehow being up to date with him helps you 
to deal with stress and difficulties. Helps with other relationships as well, including being able to love and forgive others. James 4 verse 1 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a really good question, isn't it? What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So often the seeds of a conflict is not just in someone else, it's also what's going on in our own heart and in our own life, the way we think about things. So Paul's saying, hey, look, or or James is saying, hey, look within you. These things come from within you as well. Proverbs 13 and verse 10 is, is, a, is a great verse. It says this, where there is strife, there is pride. That's really insightful, isn't it? Where there's strife, you say, oh, but it was, she did that, he did that, or oh, this happened, that happened. Yeah, yeah, but also, sometimes our attitude, we can't resolve it because actually we're too proud to resolve it. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Begin with what's our fault. I wonder how many of our conflicts would melt away if we felt able to say, I'm sorry, I was just thinking of myself. I don't don't know. It would be interesting, wouldn't it? It takes the pride out. Pride gives oxygen to the fire of conflict. That's a good sentence. Pride, you know, if a fire is starved of oxygen, it just goes out. But pride gives oxygen to the fire of conflict. So let's begin with what's our thought. Here's here's another thought. Point three is how about listen to another person's perspective? Oh, don't you just hate that? (laughs) That was a joke. Listen to other people's perspective. If we go back to James, James is full of, um, full of wisdom, isn't he? James 1 verse 19, it's a great principle. My dear brothers and sisters, he says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then he goes on to say human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. That's a great principle, isn't it? Be slow, quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry. I must confess there are times when I've done it in the other, other order. Quick to become angry, too quick to speak, and really slow to listen. I, mean, I can't be the only one. Please have mercy on me. I can't be. I just can't. You're all looking so holy this morning. I can't believe it. That's a great verse, isn't it? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen to the other person's perspective. Ears can show love. Do you know that? Ears can show love. Who thought of that? I thought it was flowers that show love. I thought it was chocolates that show love. No, actually, being able to listen is a way of showing love. Uh, Covey, who I think isn't a Christian, but he's a God-fearing guy, he said this, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. That's wise, isn't it? Seek to understand before, seek, before seeking to be understood. So let's, so make the first move, begin with what's our fault. Oh, dearie me. Listen to other people's perspective. <laughs> 
Here's another one. Speak the truth in love. That's Ephesians 4 verse 15. Speak the truth in love. Have you ever spoken the truth but aggressively? Have you ever done that? Boof. I'll tell you the truth. Have you ever done that? I, I feel like this is like some sort of personal confessional here. This is, not, this is a bit embarrassing. Have you ever spoken the truth but not in love? See, we're not supposed to use even the Bible as a club. It says in here. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It says speak the truth. Yes, speak the truth but in love. See, truth even if it's true, true truth, really true truth, is always resisted if it isn't spoken in love. It is. How many, how, how many ladies here, it's usually ladies, occasionally men, but usually ladies, how many people have ever said, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it? Yeah, uh, I'll oh, said it as well. Well, I was sticking up for the guys. Well done. Many of us have felt that, haven't we? That on reflection, you think, well, actually, there's a bit of truth in that, but I didn't, I didn't like the way it was said. Now, sometimes it's the way we hear as well. It's, all, it's not all as simple as I'm saying it. But truth without love is resisted. So wrap the truth in love. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says this. Reckless words pierce. Reckless words pierce. Wow. Proverbs 12 verse 18. Let me read it to you. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Reckless, even reckless truth without love. Reckless words pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, the way we speak can cut or it can heal. So how we speak? Speak the truth, but in love. That's four. How many can we remember? What was the first one? Anyone remember? Make the first move. Second one? Begin with what's your fault. Third one? Very good. Fourth one? You can always tell the ones that have been writing notes, can't you? <laughs> here's, the, here's the fifth one. Forgive. Oh, quickly said, not always quickly done or easily done. Forgive. Now, I, I think forgiveness is a subject that many Christians are confused about. What, what, is, what, what is forgiveness? What does it mean to forgive? I think forgiveness is where you, you recognise a wrong. You're not saying it isn't wrong. You recognise a, there's a wrong and so a debt has been created but you choose to release the person from that debt. Does that make sense? So John, John Baldock comes over, clocks me over the head with his Bible. You don't have to act this drama out, it's okay. Uh, it clocks me over the head. I, 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 forgiveness is when I recognise you owe me for that. That, that hurt, that was wrong, he, he owes me for that, but I release him from the debt. I say, I, I, I forgive you. I re- that doesn't mean my head doesn't hurt still. You see, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that next time I walk past him, I'll offer him my head, because it's not the same as trust. But, but I free him from that debt. See, forgiveness is a choice, isn't it? It's a choice. It's not actually a feeling. Although I hope, and generally, if you keep forgiving and keep forgiving, that may come afterwards, down the line. But it's not firstly a feeling. It's hard. Actually, if it's big things that have gone on, it's really costly. You may have to do it 
several times, even many times, depending on what's been done to you. You know, the disciples of Jesus came to him and asked him about that, didn't they? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 18, the stories are told? Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus because Peter says to him, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister or sins against me? So I, I don't know whether something had gone on, but he's, he's wondering, how many times? And then he makes a suggestion, well, maybe, maybe seven times? He's thinking, man, I've had self-control. He's done this six times and I've not clocked him one yet. I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. There's obviously a context we don't know about. But Jesus, Jesus answers him, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say seven times 70, which would be 490 times. What, what he's saying is you don't count. <laughs> you just keep on forgiving. Forgive. How many times? So it's, it's seven times or it's 77 times or it's 490 times. It's as many times as you keep needing to do it. Don't keep account. We keep forgiving every time. Every time anger, sometimes you keep forgiving for the same thing, if you know what I mean. You think, oh, I've forgiven already. But, but the anger comes back, well, I, I forgive again. I forgive again. I, the resentment returns. It's not easy. If I can help anyone, let me say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying the wrong. It's not saying that didn't happen. It's not saying it didn't matter and it doesn't hurt. It's not even forgetting about it. It's saying, I release you from the debt. Forgiveness also is not a response to an apology. I've had dozens of people who've said to me, I'll forgive her when she says sorry, or I'll forgive him when he says sorry. So that's a different thing. It's not a response to an, an apology. It's not even the same as trust. You can forgive someone, release them for, okay, I forgive them. That was really wrong. I forgive them. I won't hold on to it. That's not the same as trusting. Trust has to be built. Trust sometimes can be totally gone. It has to be rebuilt. It takes time. Sometimes, sadly, might not ever quite get there. But you can forgive someone. It's not the same as trust. It's not even ceasing to feel pain. Some of us have been badly syndicates. We feel the pain of that. Horrible things can happen in life. We can release someone from their debt and still feel the pain. Still lack any trust. It's not the same, you see, as reconciliation. People get the two confused. It only takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to be reconciled. Do you see the difference? Forgiveness is what is in our hands. Sometimes you can't be reconciled. It may not be possible. Some, 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 sometimes the person you're forgiving might not even be alive anymore. You can't be reconciled. Sometimes that person might be sadly dangerous. You can't be reconciled. Or they might be totally unrepentant, but you can release them from debt. I hope that helps. It's really important, sort of pastorally in, in a community. What forgiveness is, what forgiveness isn't. And I, I want to finish with this, and it's the example of Jesus. Jesus is the example par excellence of forgiveness. In Colossians 3 and verse 13, it says this. Bear with one another. That means sort of put up with each other because we're all God, I've realized. Bear with one another and in addition to bearing one another, forgive one another 
if any of you has a grievance against someone. And here's the standard. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's, that's the standard for us. Forgive as God has forgiven us. Comes from Christ, really, forgiveness for the Christian. He's our inspiration. He's our example. He's the one who has forgiven us. We, it comes from Christ to us, his forgiveness, and through us to one another and to others. Because we follow a saviour, don't we, who hung on a cross, or as he was being put on a cross, said, Father, forgive them. They were unrepentant people. As far as we know, they were always unrepentant. They didn't know what they were doing. But he said, Father, forgive them. So it's a practical thing this morning. Let's, make, let's be people who make the first move to resolve conflict. I acknowledge our part, even if it's the 5% or the 1% who listen to other people's perspective, who speak the truth but in love, and who forgive, following the example of Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's just bow our heads. It just may be that for some of us, there's a particular person on our mind. Pick particular person to forgive or a particular person to whom we must make the first move and I want I want to pray that God the Holy Spirit would give us strength if we need to to just make the first move Holy Spirit thank you that you're here as we gather in this place thank you that you inspire these principles of forgiveness I pray if there's anyone here who needs to make a first move in forgiving, in not holding that debt against them, that you would give strength right now. I pray for any who are weighed down by things done against them. We don't want to minimize or trivialize the real depth of pain and hurt that can happen to us in life Lord but we ask you that we would reflect your wonderful forgiveness to each other and to others we ask you that we would know the experience of weights lifting from us as we forgive others in Jesus name Amen Amen well, these kind of talks are really a bit, bit strange. They can be a little bit heavy. I think it was Mandela who said um, unforgiveness is like um, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So, <laughs> so that's a bit of non-biblical wisdom, but it's, it's wise. So, uh, so, of course, no one's blessed so far because Jesus said, um, now you know these things, you're blessed if we if we do them so uh so for anyone who's wondering i'm not uh, I, i'm not aware of any particular uh, conflicts that i've not preached this at anyone in, in particular so if my eyes have alighted upon you it's a complete accident so 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 uh enjoy